What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. So before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. Now, CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favorite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there, and I hope you guys check it out because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. I found my old copy of my favourite childhood movie and Something's Seriously Wrong With It, Part 1, by Dopabean. I was never into Disney. Don't get me wrong, I love animated films and I appreciate The Lion King as much as anybody, but I always found Disney too straightforward, too simple. Instead, I love what my mum unfairly calls off-brand cartoon movies, particularly Don Bluth films. All Dogs Go to Heaven was my all-time favourite. Then there's The Land Before Time, A Troll in Central Park, The Secret of Nim, and even Rock-A-Doodle. I'm not saying that they're objectively better than Disney, but I do prefer them. My appreciation for these animated movies comes in handy at my new job. I'm a, a home health aide for adults with disabilities. My clients are considered violent and dangerous, but I haven't encountered a serious situation yet. Other aides have been pinned to the ground, beat up and slashed with broken glass, and worse. I only started in January though, so I'm sure that my time will come too. I've spent most of my time with two clients, Carolyn and Mark. They aren't related, and in fact, Mark can't stand Carolyn. I'm still not sure why the company put them in the same house, even. Mark is, uh, he's very difficult. Carolyn can be, but she's been only sweet toward me. She had a, um, a horrific childhood, and in addition to serious mental disabilities, she suffers heavily from PTSD. She comes off as, a uh, Deceptively extroverted, but has trouble speaking intelligibly and gets hostile when caregivers can't understand her. For some reason, though, I've, uh, I've never had trouble deciphering her words. And I guess that's why she grew attached to me so fast. On my very first day, she pulled me aside and insisted that I put her Secret of Nim VHS in the player. I couldn't help but notice that it was in bad shape so are the rest of her tapes. It's not her fault. She takes excellent care of them, but years of constant use and endless humidity, they've taken their toll. That means she likes you. 
Jesse told me. As the main assignee to the house, he'd been tasked with training me. He's three years younger than me, but took this job out of high school and never left. We're, uh, we're lucky to have him, in fact. He's always calm and kind, and even though this type of work is notorious for employee burnout, he manages it all somehow. As Carolyn and I watched Nim, the constant static fuzz and frame flipping made me wince. And all of her tapes were like that. None played well, and a few had anything approaching a watchable picture. I pulled Jesse aside at the end of my shift and asked him if I could buy Carolyn more movies. Uh, it's against the rules to just give them stuff, he said. But maybe we can make an exception this time. I'll, uh, I'll have to ask though, okay? Mark ambled over, planted himself in front of us and stared. He was allowed, of course. I mean, it was his house after all. Hey, Mark, Jesse said. You want to join us? No, Mark spat contemptuously, looking disgusted. What are you really doing? Are you going to fuck? Nah, never on the clock, man. Jesse answered. Mark looked puzzled for a second, then grinned. <laughs> that was funny, dude. His smile dissipated into a critical sneer. Leave some room for Jesus, guys. And then he stormed away. But to give an idea of what it's like to work with Mark, let's just say that that's the least offensive interaction that I've ever had with him. I know it's unkind, but that's why I prefer working with Carolyn. I grew close to her quickly, which made me even more eager to replace her movie collection. Jesse did clarify the gift-giving rules for me. Sure enough, staff members can't give presents to clients. Christmas and birthdays are exceptions, but the gifts have to be approved by the program director. Jesse took the initiative and got the approval. I was hired after Christmas, but Carolyn's birthday, it's tomorrow. So for the last couple of months, Jesse and I have slowly collected replacements for our videos. Between yard sales, Amazon and eBay, we ended up with a huge haul. I even dug my old copy of All Dogs Go to Heaven out of storage for her. And altogether, everything cost less than $40. We wanted to make sure that the tapes were in good shape before giving them to her, though. So, rather than watch them alone, because, I mean, seriously, nothing is as lonely and melancholy as watching kids' movies by yourself. Jesse and I, we scheduled a movie night. For several weeks now, we've been watching three or four of these animated movies every Tuesday, which is our shared night off. So far, everything's good. The tapes will play as well as VHS tapes can. No one recorded over the films with home movies or amateur porn or anything. And you know, revisiting childhood favourites with a friend is kind of fun. And I really like spending time with Jesse. He's probably the kindest and calmest person that I've ever met, in fact. Yesterday was our last movie night before Carolyn's birthday. We only had two films left. Anastasia and All Dogs Go to Heaven, which I sentimentally saved for last. But Jesse picked up a double overtime shift, so we started really late. He refused to cancel on me and arrived just after 9pm, looking exhausted. 
His tiredness was catching too, and we made it through the first movie, but he nodded off about halfway through the second at some point, and I followed suit. After a while, I blinked awake. It felt like hours had passed, but the movie was still playing, and there was something wrong with it. I mean, it was supposed to be All Dogs Go to Heaven. Like I said, it's my absolute favourite. I mean, I have it memorised. And this is my copy. I pulled it out of my mum's garage myself just a couple of weeks ago. But whatever I was watching, it wasn't that movie. It wasn't anything I'd ever seen. The animation and the style were right. Deep, dreamy watercolours. A hundred different kinds of soft light. Rich and gentle like a movie painting. But everything else was all wrong. I mean, for one thing, a cartoon version of Carolyn filled the screen. It wasn't the clumsy, painfully overweight Carolyn I know, too. The one who talks like a baby and wears dirty clothes and throws housequaking tantrums if the macaroni and cheese is in the exact right colour. It was Todd the Carolyn, a tiny and golden, apple-cheeked with mismatched eyes, one like a vast blue pool and the other deep and warm and hazel. She wore overalls and had her blonde hair tied in chunky little ponytails. She was a, a perfect cartoon baby girl. But she wasn't alone. In this film, there was also a man. He looked uh, sad and mean. His head was over large, dominated by Elmer Fudd eyes. Underneath those eyes was a downturned dark red mouth. White clown makeup caked his face, along with thick eyeliner and long painted lashes. Carolyn and the men were in a, a sinister bare square of a room with brown carpet and a single lamp that emanated ominous yellow light. A small bed sat in the corner. While baby Carolyn gurgled happily and played with blocks, the man lay on the bed. His face was buried in the bedding. A single long lashed eye peeked out. He held so still that I thought that he was dead. Until I noticed the tears streaming down his face. He finally sat up, leaving a thick mask of makeup caked onto the pillow. Without the makeup, his face was hideous and pathetic. He looked at Carolyn, this little clown man with a huge head and mean eyes, as fat cartoon eyes dripped down his face. And then, an awful, ridiculous smile stretched slowly, spreading all the way to his ears. He radiated hatred and a sheer overwhelming sickness. His hate didn't burn. It pushed. I mean, the magnitude of it seemed to shove violently through the screen with paralytic force. And somehow, in the nonsensical way of dreams, his hatred propelled him across the terrible little bedroom, all the way to baby Carolyn, playing happily with the baby blocks. Carolyn looked up when his shadow fell across her. A gentle cooing died in her throat as he leaned down face split nearly in half by an absurdly ugly leer. I scrabbled for the remote and shut the TV off just as her big blue eyes went horrifically wide. 
Jesse jerked away as the room went dark, mumbling a series of apologies. Ah, uh, it's okay. My voice shook. The odd tone cut through his sleepiness and he looked at me sharply. I could practically see the question swirling in his head. Ah, uh, I turned the movie off, man. Uh, it's messed up. Worse than the tape she has now, in fact. Ah, that's too bad, he said. Are you okay, though? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I jabbered. Just, uh, gave me a little bit of a shock is all. He watched me for a moment longer and then stifled a yawn. Ah, uh, you should probably go home, I said. You had a long day and you don't need to worry about this, too. I wanted him to go, needed him to disappear while I figured out what to do with this friggin' tape. It was still running too, but the timer kept ticking by on the VCR display and I prayed that he wouldn't notice. He obviously sensed something was wrong because he didn't want to go. Luckily for me, he was exhausted so he gave in and left pretty quickly. Once I was alone, the apartment felt cold, empty, and far too big. The VCR was still running, and I stared at it, trying to figure out what I'd just seen. Maybe the tape was uh, just a terrible joke. The resemblance to Carolyn, nothing but a, a coincidence. I mean, it's easy enough to spoof old-school animation these days, and... The simplest, most rational explanation was that some sick fucker had made his own disgusting cartoon porn and distributed it somehow, either on accident or to purposefully mess with people's heads. On impulse, and to put my mind at ease, and to conquer my fear, and most of all to calm down, I turned the TV on. But there was no more Carolyn, thankfully, but it was playing another unfamiliar animated film. The familiar dreamy colour palette composed an idyllic scene. It was a, a dark-haired boy sitting on the edge of a lake. It was sunset. The world burned gold and orange and gentle red, contrasting with stark black shadows of trees and hills and a small house across the water. Funnily enough, though, I knew this boy too. He was a lot older than Carolyn, a ten, maybe even more, but slight and rangy, with prominent bones and hollow cheeks. A short, a brutal-looking scar marred the top of his cheekbone. That scar, that face, and of course his hair, overlong and falling in ragged waves nearly to his shoulders, they were instantly recognisable. It was Jesse. He leaned down and traced his fingers through the water, and circles fanned out, slowly spreading to the other end of the lake. But when the last circle hit the opposite shore, the scene shifts back to Jesse, right as a pair of overlarge hands slid onto his shoulders. His face hardened for a moment, and then became disturbingly blank. He stood and followed the newcomer into the trees. In a clearing, all rendered in lush pastels with rich painted hues, was a small, horrifically dismembered body. 
little Jessie choked, turned and threw up, spraying the grass with vomit. The corpse was in tatters and little Jessie tried to run but the killer caught him by the arm, twisting savagely and dragged him back to the body. I couldn't take any more and shut the TV off again. It's, it's got to be a joke or a mix-up. I mean, nothing else makes sense. I mean, the cursed videotapes are bullshit in the first place, but the cursed, ridiculously awful tapes about people I know? I mean, come on. This is just a, a sick, stupid prank. And whoever did this is disgusting. But it is getting to me just the same. I mean, I had nightmares about Cartoon Carolyn all last night. The nightmare was an exact replica of the film and continued long past the point where I turned it off in real life. I woke up in a sweat and just tried to get back to sleep, but I had nightmares a second time. I'm stupid, so I tried to go back to sleep one last time and, of course, suffered a third replay of the nightmare. I just woke up for good at 4am and haven't gone back to sleep since. I called into work today. It was shitty, but I'm exhausted and I'm afraid to be around Carolyn. But seeing Jesse also scares me a little bit. He's too perceptive and bullheaded when he wants to be. I mean, he already knows that something's wrong and I don't want to deal with his questions. I did destroy the video, tore out all the tape, shoved everything in the trash and dropped it in the communal dumpster, so at least it's gone. I just hope that the, the nightmare follows suit. Tomorrow is Carolyn's party, so I'll go into work no matter how sick or freaked out I am, but I'm not looking forward to it, that's for sure. I can't stomach the thought of animated movies right now, but I already know that she's going to be watching them all day long. G'day mates. So, I just wanted to take a quick break before the second half of the story to thank all of you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. And if you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favour to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.buster at gmail.com. That's B-I-S-H dot B-U-S-T-A at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado, here's the rest of the story. So, um, I've been suffering extremely vivid nightmares of, uh, the tape. Every time I drift off, I, I see baby Carolyn being brutalized. I know I'm dreaming and I try to wake up, but I only ever wake once the film ends, so I haven't, uh, I haven't slept much. If it doesn't stop, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's only been a couple of days and already I'd do anything to sleep peacefully. I destroyed the video yesterday and maybe it was stupid, but... I just couldn't stand having it in my apartment. Uh, 
seeing it, knowing that it existed, sparked this dangerous, all-consuming anger that I just can't handle. I mean, it's terrible enough knowing that people you know, the people you love, have been hurt. It's terrible enough knowing that you can't ease their pain or punish those who harm them. But it's quite another thing to see it happen, even if it is in cartoon form. It's hypnotic and shattering. So close to a sense of purpose. Monsters are out there. Monsters did this and I need to kill the monsters now. But ultimately, it's just helplessness. These crimes are long buried and long forgotten by everyone but the victim. That's how it always is. You encounter it constantly in this line of work, in fact. Usually, you can push it to the back burner. I mean, you have to in order to function. But I've been having trouble with that these last few days. I also don't know what on earth I'd say if... I gave the tape to the cops. I mean, it's mine. It has my freaking name on it in Magic Marker. So, getting rid of it seemed like the best solution. I pulled the tape out, smashed the casing and tossed it all in a dumpster. It hasn't stopped the nightmares, but it helped with my peace of mind. I was so disturbed by it all that I called off work yesterday. I wanted to call in today too, but it's Caroline's birthday and no matter what, I couldn't miss her party. So, I went. Now, this is a hard job. Sometimes, it even feels impossible. Sometimes, it feels like you just can't make everything worse. But today, it didn't start off like that. It was actually beautiful all the clients crowded into carolyn's house for cake and presents even her housemate mark who won't talk to women under any circumstance got a little present for her but jesse and i wrapped each vhs tape individually to make it look like she had dozens of gifts and the tapes made her almost hysterically happy every time she unwrapped a new one She'd jump up and down and run to her video cabinet and replace an old cassette with a new one. It was... it was wonderful. I'd finally done something, however small, that made her life uh, a little happier. I was so emotionally high off this self-righteous little train of thought that I'd stopped counting the tapes. Caroline opened the last tape and danced around, showing it off to the other clients. She said this one, watch this one. She speaks only rarely and in fragments, in a baby voice that's hard for some people to understand, but I've never had any trouble. As the client settled in to watch the film, Jesse came up beside me. Hey, he said quietly. Wasn't there uh, something wrong with that one? What? He blushed a little bit. Uh, I don't know, um, maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but last night I thought that you said that there was something wrong with All Dogs Go to Heaven. Uh, yeah, I threw it away. Uh, she's watching it now, though, he said patiently. 
Did you throw another movie out by mistake? I couldn't even breathe. What's wrong? Jesse asked sharply. Oh, nothing, I whispered. He glanced at the clients and none were paying us any attention and pulled me farther into the kitchen. Really? Because you looked shell-shocked last night and you look shell-shocked now. What's wrong? We have to turn it off, okay? Listen, I know you get along with Carolyn, but she's been on her best behavior for you so far. You know she's put people in hospital, right? Yeah, but the last girl got hurt after messing with Carolyn's VCR. She tried to punish her for something and I'm not trying to punish her. But do you think Carolyn's going to know the difference? He hesitated. I can... I can maybe stop it. She might listen to me. But why? What's wrong with it? As if on cue, Carolyn began to scream. Jesse gave me an unreadable look, then ran into the living room. I followed, fighting down a surge of panic. Cartoon toddler Carolyn filled the screen playing with blocks as the hideous clown man leered at her. The man's grin widened, spreading almost to his ears, and he began to hurt her. The other client sent up an, an irritable chorus. The other staff, and even our manager, Diana, looked as nonplussed as the clients. Carolyn, it's, it's just a movie, she said in a bright, chipper voice. You like this one, remember? You were telling me about it yesterday. Look, it's, it's just Charlie. I barely heard them, though. I couldn't move. The horrific images on the screen were paralyzing. Like, I was in the dream again, unable to speak or even blink. But only me and Carolyn saw those images. But judging by the confused reactions... Everyone else was watching the right movie. Carolyn kicked away from Diana. The other clients reached out to comfort her, but she shoved them away. When the clown man threw her bleeding cartoon doppelganger against the wall, she started clawing at her eyes. They finally galvanized me, and I shut the TV off, then approached Carolyn carefully, arms extended. She didn't even notice me, though, so... I took a risk and wrapped my arms around her. She flailed, catching my cheek with a wildly strong punch. I saw stars, but hugged her again. She continued to fight, screaming deafeningly in my ear all the while, but at least she stopped scratching her eyes. Over her shoulder, I saw Jesse. All color had drained from his face, and he looked like he was on the verge of panic. He finally tore his gaze from the TV and looked at me helplessly. I nodded slightly and he turned abruptly and disappeared into the kitchen. I wanted to go after him, but Carolyn was still screaming and wouldn't let anyone else touch her. And after a final pulling us apart, Diana made me go to the hospital because of the injuries that Carolyn accidentally caused. I'm fine, a little bruised with a nice shiner on my cheek and... I didn't really need to go, but those are the rules. 
By the time I was discharged, the shift was long over. I offered to finish out the current shift for whoever came in to cover me, but Diana just made me go home. The hair on the back of my neck prickled before I entered my apartment. You know that feeling you get as a, a thunderstorm approaches, when every part of your skin seems to contract and your scalp tightens? It was kind of like that, but painful. The first thing I noticed was that my TV was on. Silent static filled the screen, and in front of me, starkly outlined against the flickering backdrop, was a cassette tape. I picked it up, already knowing what I was going to see. Sure enough, in worn, familiar lettering were the words, All Dogs Go to Heaven. On the side was my name, scrawled in a child's hand. I prayed for a while and then put it in. A familiar sunset-drenched lake filled the screen. Young Jesse sat on the shore, drawing circles in the water. When I first saw this last night, I thought that he looked serene, even content. Now with the benefit of hindsight, I could tell that he was tense. Too still, too straight, but practically thumbing with nervous energy even the beautiful animation couldn't hide. I knew what came next. As the last ripple touched the opposite shore, a faceless man approached and put his hand on Jesse's shoulder. Jesse's face twisted briefly and then hardened. He stood and followed the man into the woods. They reached a clearing. Rays of dying sunlight filtered through the dark canopy infusing the scene with a sort of lush and dreamy beauty particular to these films. The man pulled up short and shoved Jesse forward to the center of the clearing. There, among a patch of wildflowers, lay a small dismembered body. Cloudy eyes reflected the trees above. Jesse threw up and tried to bolt. but The man caught him easily, twisting his arm until he wailed and threw him toward the corpse. Jesse looked up at the man in horror. Tears spilled from his eyes, small and sparkling like stars. The man grabbed Jesse's throat and shoved him down until he was face to face with the dead child. Jesse bit his lip, drawing a single drop of blood that glinted in the sunlight. Tears continued to stream down his face. They dripped into the corpse's eyes, glinting like diamonds as they disappeared into the cloudy irises. Suddenly, the dead child's jaw stretched. The tongue lolled and its entire body shuddered. The remnant of its mouth opened and it uttered a, a dry, miserable whine. It struggled weakly, blood-stained hair glimmering madly with each movement. Jesse screamed and flailed, but the man held him tightly and began to laugh. Jesse screamed, let him go, and... The child's head snapped towards his. It tried to sit up and, for an instant, their foreheads touched. He said, you heard him enough, please let him go. But the corpse convulsed with a hideous rattle, and then fell still. The man tossed Jesse to the side and walked away, footsteps crunching on twigs and bracken. Jesse stayed and just wept. The sun dropped behind the mountains, 
abruptly bathing the clearing in a cool blue twilight. After a while, Jesse crawled over to the dead child and sat down. He wept and apologized, reaching for the corpse's hand. He broke down and sobbed long after the first stars began twinkling through the canopy. After a while, he ran his fingers through the child's blood-soaked curls, smoothing them down with a kind of skittish, horrified tenderness that broke my heart. Then, he shrugged out of his shirt and spread it over the body, masking the horrific runes of the child's face and chest. Breath hitching, Jesse curled up beside the corpse and cried himself to sleep as fireflies blinked to life and owls swooped overhead. The tape abruptly cut to silent static after this. After a while, I realized that I was on my knees. Everything was sore and my heart hurt. And that anger, that dangerous, burning, insidious rage was building so heavily and so quickly that the pressure physically hurt. I stared at the static and mumbled senselessly, trying to calm myself down. That's it. I murmured. You saw it. Don't watch it again, okay? No more. There is no more. There's always more. My heart seized as I whirled around. There was something on my couch. Something that didn't make sense. I thought I was seeing things. That the TV static had imprinted itself over my vision and contaminated the shadows. But, no. A long, inhumanely slender form perched on the back of my sofa. Its skin rippled and sparkled with a hundred flickering shades of white and black and grey. It unfolded spidery limbs and leaned in. You'll see it every night. Every time you close your eyes. Just like him. It will never stop. You'll never rest. Blood thundered in my ears. My mind seemed empty, overwhelmed by a senseless, painful, familiar drone. The sound, I realized, of static. Unless... The thing whispered. You listen. It snaked forward until its face was less than an inch from my own. It filled my field of vision with that overwhelming, disorientating flurry of grey and white. Will you listen? I nodded once. Its head slid to the side and brushed against my ear. And surrender to your rage. That mad static pattern undulated over its body, hypnotic and beautiful. The first name that I have for you, it whispered is William Matthew Hyde. I'll help you when you find him. The TV shut off abruptly, throwing the room into darkness. Panic-stricken, I fumbled for a light. The lamp flicked on, showing an empty room. I've been sitting here ever since. It's late and I have work tomorrow, but I can't sleep. I won't. I'm... I'm afraid. I'm afraid to sleep. I'm afraid to dream. I'm afraid for Jesse, terrified of what I saw in that film. I'm afraid for Carolyn and 
I'm afraid for me. I'm afraid of me. I don't know William Matthew Hyde at all, but I know enough because Carolyn's last name, it's also Hyde. Carolyn's family relinquished all legal rights to her after CPS responded to a tip and discovered horrific ongoing abuse. They knew the culprits, but Carolyn is effectively non-verbal and her family wouldn't cooperate. But because of this, none of her relatives are permitted to see her. Since no one was charged, their names were redacted from a file. But I have a name now. A starting point. If I start at all. I don't know if I will, but I want to because I'm tired and I'm angry. I'm so angry. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one.